0: Welcome to the 10th episode of Touring the Multiverse. This is the first limited series of the It's a Mimic podcast where I, Dave, lead you, and Adam, on a tour of one of the published campaign settings for Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Over the course of this series on Eberron, I'll be breaking down history, lore, settings, populaces,
1: adventures, and player options. While well, I give some quick insights into the unique monster stats that Wizards of the Coast has provided.
0: Today, we're going to be covering the faiths of Eberron. So climb aboard the lightning rail and join me as we look into the steampunky world of high adventure as presented in Eberron Rising from the Last War.
1: Dave, I'm a godly man. Are you? You're very pious. Yeah, I I, I,
0: I, I often it, see you eating pies.
1: And and I do consider myself a god. So I, I believe that. So lead me through. What are the options? Who is my direct competition in Eberron? No, you see, you have manifested physically.
0: Yeah. So you are already not part of this. The gods in Eberron do not do that.
1: Okay. What if I manifest sexually? <laughs>
0: Uh, so as you may know, uh, most of the people of Corvair, which is where we're going to start today, uh, follow the sovereign host and, and because they follow the sovereign host, they are actually acknowledging the existence of the dark six who we're going to talk about in a minute. All right.
1: This is like God to Satan, Lucifer, like you can't have one without the other. They're opposites. Sure. okay.
0: Okay. There's a bunch of other religions as well. Uh, like we talked about before in the Thrain, in the episode where we spoke about Thrain, there's the Church of the Silver Flame. Uh, the Kalishtar observe the Path of Light. The Elves of Aranol file, follow the Undying Court. Uh, I mean, like as you can tell, faith is kind of like a foundation of what happens in Eberron. In fact, they actually have a table in the book for foundation of faith and rejection of faith. So one for each. Okay. So you can roll on a table to like why you are so actually strong in your faith or why you have pushed it aside.
1: Sure, I like that. A lot of players just say, you know what, I don't want to have a god. I'm a cleric, but I'm not I'm not interested. So it's nice that they give that option in this book.
0: Yep. Uh but the first one I want to talk about today, and I mean there's other ones that I haven't mentioned yet, but the first one I want to talk about is the Sovereign Host. They embody all that is good in the world. Okay? The people of Corvera followed it for thousands of years. And it's really seen everywhere in Corvair. Uh, and it is a wonderfully diverse set of gods. Because it isn't just one god.
1: No, you said host, so I assume it's a pantheon.
0: Yeah, there's nine of them, okay? But there's really like eight plus one. Okay. Okay, Orion, who we've spoken before. Yeah. Uh, he's like the big daddy of the, the, the sovereign host. Okay.
1: Not to be confused with House Orion.
0: Yes, this is Orion. A U R eon uh, this is the guy that's got the big carving of him in the morr holds there's yeah. pictures of it in the book is he a dwarven god so no not necessarily the, the the host the sovereign host is not a dwarven god it's not a dragonborn god it's it's a,
1: these, so, these gods are beyond physical the, the
0: sovereign host are are the creatures that uh i believe it was vanquished over the the overlords yes okay so they've had they have since ascended to divinity okay okay so um there's like i said there's nine of them uh just to give you a quick snapshot i'm just going to read a couple of them out of the book yep. here. uh there's orion who we've spoken about uh his uh domain is knowledge and order like his cleric domain yep um and his he's got a common symbol of an open tome or a blue dragon okay? sure okay there's two brothers dole ara and dole dorn um their suggested cleric domains are light and war, and the other one is just war. And they're the symbol of the rising sun or a red dragon or a long sword crossed over a shield or a silver dragon.
1: So they all have like a dragon side because that makes sense because the sovereign host teamed up with dragons to defeat the overlords according to some myths. That's what we said. Yeah, that.
0: each one has a dragon. So, you know, just to read down the list, it's bronze, blue, green, copper, red, silver, white, black, and brass. So it's kind of all over the place. Now the two that I just talked about Dol Arra and Dol Dorn they actually have a brother but he fell from grace and is part of the Dark Six but I'll talk about him when I get to the Dark Six okay, okay? so you can kind of get a feeling like these were people who again have ascended to divinity or gone the other way but these
1: these are they're godlike beings they're right? legendary yeah. right
0: yeah. and but I mean the the thing is that they're they're built in real like they happened they were there it's it's known right these there's no Room for interpretation. I mean, it is when you're...
1: Well, like, these are historical figures that some people pray to. Like, as if we... As if Abraham Lincoln ascended to godhood. Like, the dude existed and we know and it's not open to interpretation, but... Yeah. is Is he a prophet? Is he a god? Is he... Is that is that kind of what we're talking about?
0: Um, yeah, so... As a follower, um, if you're a blacksmith, maybe you feel more aligned with one of them called Onatar... Uh, and his suggested cleric domain is, is like Forge. Um, sure. Uh, which I believe is in Xanathar's. So, uh, and I mean, his symbol is the cross, hammer, and tongs, or a brass dragon. So you can, through your life, feel a closer connection to a member of the Sovereign Host, but you're really praying to them all. Yeah, sure. Okay. okay. Uh, now, remember I said that it's kind of like 8 plus 1? Yep. So their symbol is an octogram. Do you know what an octagram is?
1: Yeah, that'd be an eight-sided shape.
0: That's an octagon. An well, oct-
1: yeah, an octagram is, is essentially the, the hashtag or pound sign.
0: Essentially, yeah. Each tail yeah. represents one of the sovereign host. Sure. And the whole thing represents Orion. That's why he's the plus one. He's kind of the big...
1: He's, is he like the all-father? He, the, Zeus to the other gods or Odin to the rest? or. Essentially, yes. Okay.
0: Yeah. So the prayers of the sovereign host, when you're praying to them, it's usually done through song. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there are specific songs for each sovereign. Sure. Okay. Uh, their temples uh, are made of stone, and each one of them has eight doors. Uh, and inside, the, you know, the walls are carved in paintings with the different sovereigns. An icon of Orion hangs over the altar normally, and an octogram is engraved in the floor. Sure. Like, it's pretty straightforward. So yeah. There's There's... A little bit more here. Like, I didn't get into all nine of them, but, I mean, it's it's there. It's easy to find in the book. Yeah. There's a lot of different
1: Sure, yeah, different yeah. Stuff. We don't have time to go through all of the freaking gods of Eberron today.
0: No, we're just kind of hitting the highlights here. So, I spoke about the opposite is the Dark Six.
1: Okay, so you guys don't have a hashtag? Like, hashtag gods? Or, like, what, what are these guys? What's their symbol?
0: Uh, so, their symbol is a hexagram, but there is no one symbol for each of the six. And I'll explain that in a minute, okay? Okay. So, they're the shadow of the Sovereign Host, is how it explains them in the book. Um, they're also there to kind of shape the world. In fact, I believe that they had to work with the Sovereign Host to get rid of Kulseer, the giant who brought them Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. So, they had to work together there. You have to be willing to hear them in order to hear them. They don't just kind of pop
1: in. Yeah, they're not like, hey, what's up? I'm, I'm, I'm a god.
0: Yeah, you have to be all like...
1: You have hey. to open yourself up. It's That's very similar to how the quarry work with the inspired as well. Like you are bred and trained before you can accept the possession of the quarry. Right? So there's, that seems to be a regular theme in Eberron where you've got to open yourself up.
0: Uh, now, again, I know I've said this before. They're the opposite. Uh, they're the shadow of the sovereign host. It also it describes them as the other side of the same coin. Sure. They're very much intertwined together. And I cannot stress that enough. Acknowledging, believing in one just implies that you believe in the other. This
1: is a pantheon of 15, but which side of the coin do you worship?
0: Well, it's six.
1: I know it's know, I know six no, no, plus nine. I six know. plus nine. I know. Yes, yes, well, six plus, plus eight plus eight. one, but yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: the Dark Six are the source of fear, and you can kind of get that feeling when you look at what their names are. I'm going to list all of these because they're kind of neat. There's the Devourer, the Fury, the Keeper, the Mockery, the Shadow, and the Traveler.
1: Huh, they all have uh, the name.
0: Yes, uh, and they're not really aligned with dragons anymore. So they sort of are. Like the Devourer, uh, a common symbol for him would be a dragon turtle. Okay, but there is not one symbol that represents them, which is different than the Sovereign Host. The Sovereign Host, they have symbols. Um, Orion has the, the open tome or the blue dragon. The A follower of the Devourer from the Dark Six it might be a dragon turtle, but it's not necessarily, okay? It could be a bundle of five sharpened bones, but it isn't necessarily. It's just a, it's a common symbol.
1: Okay, so these are more things that, that invoke the idea of as opposed to a, uh, an actual holy symbol.
0: Uh, yeah, their, their followers are going to carry um, mementos, right? Uh, so another example I, I saw was that a follower of the Devourer may carry a shark tooth, Okay. okay. Um, They may carry wood that was scorched in uh, a forest fire. Something no, th- like that.
1: This makes sense because I'm taking the word devour and dragon turtles are gargantuan and they fucking eat people. Yeah. Right? Shark tooth uh, is all about devouring. And then we have the devouring aspect of fire, right? Which consumes.
0: Okay. Well, the fury is one of the symbols is a woman's head and arms. So do you want to explain that one to me? Uh,
1: the actual furies from Greek myth.
0: Hell hath no fury.
1: Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Did you like that? That was me playing the, the PC line there. Yes. I was, I was towing the line.
0: <clears throat> so they also use songs to conduct their formal rituals. Uh, and most of their temples are hidden.
1: Is it like death metal now? It was freaking Beach Boys and the Bee Gees before, and now it's it, it's Metallica.
0: And Death Clock. If you haven't heard of Death Clock, look them up. They're great. So, like I said, their temples are, are hidden, but they're kind of hidden in like cheeky kind of ways. Especially like the cult for the mockery. You might find that in like a slaughterhouse.
1: In a slaughterhouse? Okay.
0: Yeah, or a, a cult for the shadow might be in like the back stacks of a library. So the places where you're going to worship them are going to be hidden. There's not going to be temples devoted to them in the middle of the city. But there will be the back door that kind of...
1: This, this feels more cultish, right? Like there well, they, is, uh... they are
0: literally called cults. Yeah. Like like yeah, you are a cult of the mockery. No, but this this, this feels devout. like
1: like the Lovecraftian cults, right? Like where there's no there's no meeting place. You just I worship over here. When and everyone else's back is turned, I find a dark corner and I do my dark ritual. Like that's kinda how it feels.
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Now, I know I just said that they don't have temples in the middle of the city and stuff. That isn't necessarily true.
1: You're fucking my world, Dave. I know.
0: So they do have dedicated temples, but they are going to be hidden. They're not going to be easy to find. They are normally built from dark stone. And you know how the the Sovereign Host had eight doors? Guess how many this one has?
1: Six. There you go. Uh,
0: And they have, instead of an octagram engraved in the floor...
1: They have a six-pointed star, essentially. It's a hexagram.
0: Hexagram in the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's two vertical lines and then...
1: That are parallel.
0: That are parallel. And gotcha. then one horizontal line that intersects both.
1: Okay, so it's just a hashtag It's missing off. All. Missing all.
0: No, but also yes. Okay. Okay. Any questions about the
1: Dark Six? Oh, lots. They sound like good guys, but let's, let's move on.
0: The next one I had is the Church of the Silver Flame. Do you remember these guys? Yep. Uh, so they are the Force of Light that holds fiends at bay. Uh, They defend innocence from evil, and they are big players in the nation of Thrain. So I sat there and tried to figure out how to phrase this little story about the background from the Church of Flame, and decided that the book just kind of did it better. So allow me to read you a paragraph, okay? Every Thrain child knows the story of Tira Miran. Centuries ago, one of the ancient and powerful demons, chained within the world, broke free from its bonds, unleashing terrible suffering on the people of Thrain. The nation would have been destroyed if not for Tira Miran. This paladin was called by the Silver Flame and battled the mighty fiend. When it became clear that the Overlord couldn't be destroyed, Tira gave her life, combining her spirit with the light of the Silver Flame to bind the demon once more. Now, Tira serves as the voice of the flame, helping others find the light. Anyone who seeks to protect the innocent and battle evil can draw on the power of the Silver Flame to aid them, but they must beware of the shadow in the flame, the demon that still lingers and yearns to trick good people into evil. Make sense? Yeah, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, So there is actually like a... There is a Silver Flame in Flamekeep, which I believe is the capital of Thrain, if I remember correctly. Yes. And you can talk to Tira... Through this,
1: and the leader of Flame Keep is the keeper of the flame, if I remember correctly, because they got real original with naming. I believe you are correct. Yes,
0: okay. Now, this religion is kind of defined by structure. There are archbishops that control regions, cardinals that control the church, and of course, the keeper of flame is the ultimate authority. Uh, and they are the ones that commune with Tiramiron.
1: Okay, not Tiramisu, that's totally different.
0: That's the sister, Right. right? Uh, so, during the last war, the Templars of all nations fought together against demons and other aberrations, um, but without a supernatural threat, they f- ended up fighting each other. mm mm-hmm. uh, You know, so it's like nation on nation. Uh, this division in the church as a whole led to corruption. Braylon priests associated with the criminals in Aeondar, uh, and a faction known as the Pure Flame Uh, And they are advocates uh, that use violence instead of compassion, okay? Okay. Uh, This led to politics entering the Church of the Silver Flame. Uh, So now you have people that are joining the church for power instead of... For faith,
1: yeah. Well, not just faith, but seeking to do good to... (sighs) It's selfish. There's no more altruism to, like, these guys are entered for the power grab.
0: Some of them still are, but it it It's got that flavor, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of... It's not what it once was, right? Like, the, the, there, there is corruption in it when it was supposed to be so pure. Uh, so again, it's centered in Thrain, but it does have a really strong presence in Breland and Ander. Uh, the symbol is a stylized flame that has a silver inlay. A silver arrowhead etched with the symbol is a common token. The silver flame has no need for prayers or offerings. Uh, and instead, their services kind of focus more on encouraging virtuous behavior. Only ordained priests can perform service. Very specific about that. Okay. Uh, And archery is a devotional practice. So if you want to feel closer to your faith, archery all day.
1: The arrow points in that direction.
0: Well, it's used as a meditation, and I mean it's a martial. Like, it's it's useful for what they're doing as well. Uh, They also have fortresses, okay? Uh, And these are just garrisons for the Templar, and they also provide sanctuary from supernatural threats. So perhaps maybe just spitball in here okay mm-hmm. church of the silver flame had a fortress one of these fortresses in the mornland perhaps if you're traveling through the mornland this could be your sanctuary for the night
1: it, yeah let uh it's blessed or holy land or it's consecrated land yeah, there's
0: there's something about it right yeah okay like that's something you could do that's not that's that's my interpretation but it it plays into it I think quite well yeah uh, now, they also have churches, and these churches, you can tell them apart from every other one. Uh, they've got large arches, big open spaces. They've got mosaics on the floor, and there's normally a flame burning in the center of the church. The The head of the church, uh, their seat, so in Flamekeep, uh, there is the Grand Cathedral. This is where the, the Keeper of the Flame lives. Yeah. Uh, and this is built on the site of Tira's Sacrifice, and it's like the size of a small city. It is not. It is... Large. The Vatican? I've been to the Vatican, and that is not the size of a small city.
1: No? Okay. No, that's the size of a... It's one mile by one mile, right? Like, yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, and I mean, that's really all there is to know about the Church of the Silver Flame. Well, that's all we're going to cover today, anyways. Any questions about it? Nope. Seems pretty straightforward, eh? Yeah. Okay, the next one I wanted to bring up was the Cults of the Dragon Below. Now, you'll notice that this is the cults... Yeah, Of floral. the Dragon Below. Gotcha. They are wildly diverse. Uh, the examples they give you in the book... Uh, a paradise exists within the world, a veil bathed in the light of the inner sun. Earn your passage with the blood of worthy foes. Uh, the next one is... The existence of a chrysalis state, preparing us for transcendent immortality within the bowels of the gibbering mouther. And the last one is... The lord of eyes sees all secrets. Its gaze elevates the worthy and slays the unbeliever. Drive doubt from your heart and you will see reality through new eyes. So... These are all very different. Um, these are more about worshiping the aberrations and creatures of Kyber. Yeah, this is
1: not a dragon cult. It just happens to be Kyber was the progenitor dragon who is now the Underdark, where the aberrations live. Am I following you?
0: Yeah, and there are a bunch of different cults that worship different aspects of it.
1: Yeah. Um. This is where you would worship your Delkir. You could. Okay. But is there is there another one coming up that?
0: Uh. No. The the Delkir aren't from Khyber. That's not where they originate. That's where they are now. I mean I guess it could
1: Yeah. I, look sure. That it makes a certain amount of sense. I just I'm trying to figure out where the Delkir fit into the to this. And the idea of the many eyes and whatnot, just from my own reading. That sounds like a beholder and I know that one of the Delkir has the has like a beholder crown and shit. Like do you follow my my train of thought on this? Like I feel like you could kind of make,
0: yes, uh, I feel like you could kind of make your own assumptions and kind of put your own twist on things okay. when you want to. Because, again, this, the cults of the dragon below are very, there's not a finite list of them. Okay. Uh, if you can equate it to the to Kyber, it would probably fit. All right, now you have to keep in mind that the cults of the dragon below is a title that commoners use to describe it. People that are part of these cults don't call themselves that.
1: No, they've got their own specific religious fervor that they follow, their own name and shit, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: they don't see themselves as part of the bigger...
1: Yeah, No, ours is right. Do the rest of them are the cults of the Dragon Below? Uh,
0: yeah, I, you, you, you could say that. Okay. Uh, so, most cults are based on madness or power. Uh, a cult might serve a dark force uh, in order to receive gifts. A cabal of scholars might serve a demon overlord to receive magical powers. Um, and, and yeah it actually does uh, I missed it here it does talk about delkir dwarf clans in the Marorholds holds bargain with durn the corrupter for symbians we covered that in the Marorholds holds episode yeah I just spaced there for a minute um the shadow marches contain cults that are devoted to Belashira and Curzon, which again are delkir yes you are right I okay uh, Belashira
1: is the one with the with the crown just because I flipped through that fucking monster section 900 times at this point so yeah sure yeah.
0: so yeah I win glad we got that corrected. Uh, the membership in these cults is voluntary and spellcasters are more likely to be warlocks uh, than clerics, as their power is usually gained through bargaining. Cults driven by madness have a warped view on reality. Uh, they might believe that aberrations are a higher form of life. They might believe that the Del'Kir will elevate mortals. Uh, they might believe that their patron is bringing peace, but they need to start with a really bloody war first. So they don't see things really properly. They're 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 mad, right? Uh joining a cult of madness isn't really a choice. You kind of just fall into it.
1: Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, but it, but it's voluntary, you said as well. It is
0: voluntary, but you you come to the point where you just go mad and you start believing this stuff. It's not like you find that this is the answer. You just
1: These are the conspiracy theorists spiral that, that, that spiral it. yeah, that that dig so deep down the Wikipedia article um like chain. They go so far deep into the wiki that that they are finding secret truths, and they buy into it by the time they're done? Yeah. Okay.
0: Right. Um, now, for a symbol, again, the cults, they're not just one thing. There is no unified symbol. Uh, however, volcanic Glass or even Kyber Dragon Shards are a popular choice.
1: Sure, that makes sense. Right? Yeah. Tracks.
0: They also, you know, use symbols related to their patron. Oh, yeah. No, uh, okay. uh, their rituals are often intense and violent. There are blood sacrifices. They partake in ritual combat, which I wrote as ritual wombat, because (laughs) apparently I was having fun with this when I wrote this whenever it was. Um, And they often will consume supernatural substances, and they think that this will allow them to commune with aberrations.
1: Sure. Okay.
0: Most of the the rituals are done in Undercommon. Uh, However, most cultists don't really understand enough of it to make sense. Okay. The cults also mainly meet in caverns and sewers and things underground. Sure. Right? They yeah. want to be closer. Also, you know how there's kind of manifest zones all over yeah. uh, Eberron that are like places that are thinner yeah. and closer to other planes?
1: They, They'll be near those as well. They,
0: they tend to worship in places um, that are close to Zoriat. Okay. Uh, or to Kyber, the actual, you know, underdark. Yep. Have I given you a good enough rundown of the the dragons of the cult below?
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The dragons
0: of the cult below. Nope, got that wrong. Cults of the dragon below. Yes,
1: go. no, yeah. I, I have, I have a uh, quite the understanding of this. This is this does not blow my mind. I remember this from 3.5 Everon. So yeah, this is pretty straightforward stuff, right?
0: Uh, the next one that I wanted to deal with is the path of light. Have you heard of this one? I'm not sure we've brought it up yet. No. So this is practiced by the Kalashtar. Uh, they seek to change reality by using meditation to focus mind and athletics to train the body. Okay. Okay. Monks. Uh, yeah, it could be. Kalashtar monk. Yeah that, yeah, that tracks. They are tasked with bringing light into the world with courage by using courage and compassion uh, to banish darkness in people. They're there to mediate disputes. Extinguish hate by leading away from darkness and to inspire people to be better. Uh, they teach that this age is dominated by il-lash-tavar. Sorry, il-lash-tavar. That's Il Lash Tavar. Sorry, Il Lash Tavar. That's I L, specifically lowercase I L, dash, capital L.
1: Dash or apostrophe? Dash. Weird.
0: Capital L, A S H T A V A R. Il Lash Tavar. This means. The great darkness that dreams.
1: The dreaming dark.
0: Potentially. If enough light enters the world, then they will move on to the next age of Il-Yana, which is the great light. And that is, again, lowercase I-L, dash Y-A-N-N-A-H. Uh, so, you know, if, if they practice enough and preach enough, they will move on to the next age of enlightenment, which is literally the great light. Okay. Sure, yeah. Uh, they also believe that the only way to defeat evil is to redeem it, and that violence is never the answer. Uh, however, there is a splinter sect that's called the Shadow Watchers who do actually fight evil. This religion is over a thousand years old. Uh, it's widespread in Adar, which is the one nation in Sarlona. Uh, it's mostly unknown in Corvair. There's, you know, this isn't widely... Well, spoiled. the Kalishtar
1: are not really from Corvair. They don't have a strong presence there.
0: Yeah, well, the other thing is that uh, the priests conduct their services telepathically, so if you're not part of this, you're never going to know. Uh, their symbol are shards of crystal that are worn as an amulet, um, but formal priest garb consists of a headdress with curved horns that are made from centira, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-A, which is a sarlonin shell-like material. Okay. okay? Uh, they think that martial arts and guided meditation are the path to devotion and power.
1: Yep, I'm getting more monkey vibes. Yep. Well, not monkey vibes, but you know what I
0: mean. Yeah, yeah, and their shrines are uh, designed to amplify psychic abilities. So you think, like, in the walls, there's all these crystals and stuff that are supposed to amplify the psychic projection. Sure, okay. okay. Uh, and that's what I got on the Path of Light. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty...
1: It seems very much over there. If you play calistar you'll look into this, but nobody else will.
0: Uh, the next one I have is the Spirits of the Past. So this is an elven religion, okay? Most elves are raised on the stories of champions and great warriors. There are what are known as the keepers of the past, which are kind of like the priests of the religion. Um, when uh, an elf comes of age, one of these keepers of the past will read signs to determine which of your ancient ancestors you will be the vessel for. After that, it's your duty to emulate them, okay? Okay. It's your sacred duty to be a revenant of your ancestor, to live as they did, to allow them to walk the world again through you, okay? However, your ancestors don't speak to you and they don't control your actions. Instead, your instinct and reflex is them moving through you.
1: Okay, yeah, sure. You agree with me so far? Yeah, you're imbued with the the essence of, but they're not a, a thinking being.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll get to where you talk to them here in a minute. The closer you follow the path of your ancestor, the more guidance is provided by it. Uh, and this will help you create new legends of your ancestor's doings, right? Most people think of followers of the spirits of the past to be mercenaries, I remember the Valinar kind of had that vibe to them. Yeah. But uh, this actually is not the case. They don't really care about golden glory. They're driving forces that they want to let their ancestors live again, um, which means they need to be worthy of these champions to add to the legend of the patron. Okay, So it's
1: very based on tradition as well. Yes.
0: Now, it has been declared that only elves can be revenants, okay? Because they commune with their patron uh, while they're doing their trance. Okay. Which, you know, they do their, their, yeah, 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 their yeah. short
1: rest. They go into a trance. Long rest, but yes. Yes, you know what I'm saying. This is when... Their shorter long rest.
0: Yes, their shorter. Their are shortish.
1: Yeah, long rest. Yeah, their medium rest.
0: Their medium rest. That, that's when they talk to their patron. Their symbol is the zaleshin, okay?
1: The shit is that,
0: Dave. So the Shin is uh, an amulet that bears the seal of your patron or ancestor.
1: Mine is a walrus, not a seal.
0: It's often worn as a brooch, uh, and it can often be embedded in the forehead of a helmet. Okay. Okay. Most devotees wear a veil or a zelta, which is a spirit mask, and this way their opponent in battle sees the zelshin, which is the the symbol for their patron, instead of the elf that's living underneath it. Again, they're for their patron, not themselves. Now, they don't make permanent temples. Instead, a keeper of the past will make a circle with their sword in the dirt. The space within becomes sanctified for service. Okay, so again, you get the feeling that this might be the roaming warbands of the Valinar.
1: Sure, yeah, that makes a certain amount of sense. They're not about temples because it's in the forehead. Yes. Uh, the next one I have is
0: also another elven religion, faith. And that's the Undying Court. We talked about these guys a little bit when we talked about Aranol, Okay. Yeah. Uh, they are the wisest and most accomplished elves. <clears throat> the wisest and most accomplished elves are preserved after death and become members of the Undying Court. Devotion of living elves sustains the court. The court generates a well of mystic energy that empowers clerics. Uh, and it's found in Shai... Shay Mordai. Shay Mordai. Yep. We did this before. Yes. Uh, which is the city of the dead. As an elf, you can seek audience with the deathless ancestors. And uh, a lot of elves from Arenal can aspire to join the court through Gata through great accomplishments. Their symbol are a golden mask with luminous eyes. Uh, this again is also worn as a brooch or potentially an amulet by devotees. Uh, it can also be worn as a physical mask by the priests while carrying out their, their duties.
1: <laughs> Duty.
0: Poop. Yep. Uh, trance communion is the most sacred rite. While these elves are in a trance, they are connected to the consciousness of the court. Okay.
1: So they can trance into the hive mind? Essentially. Crazy. Okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, in Aranol, the temples are made to look, they're, they're step pyramids that are made of stone. Okay. We all know what that looks like. Yep. Yeah. On Corvair, however, the temples are made of dense wood, which is only found on Arenal. In both, the walls inside are engraved with stories about uh, the Undying Counselors. Make sense? Yep. Any questions about the Undying Court? Again, I feel like we already kind of touched on them before, so I don't really want to get too far into them. No, we're
1: good. Okay. Again, I have questions, but I'm satisfied with this, right? Sure.
0: Next, we've got the Druids of Corvair. There's five main Druid sects, and we're just going to give you a quick... Rundown. Sects. uh, S-E-C-T-S. Okay.
1: So I was going to say, you assume the Druid sects is dirty.
0: Oh, well, yeah. It's out in the woods. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I bet they're feeling thorny. Boo. No?
0: I mean, I bet you some of them, once they wild shape, are feeling horny. Gross. The first Druid group Mm -hmm. uh, is called the Ashbound. They're the defenders of the natural world, and they defend it from all threats. Some of the more extreme... Members will consider civilization to be a threat and attack settlements.
1: This uh, is your stereotypical druid nonsense that I expect from yeah, players most, that don't understand the
0: Most of them focus their energies on fighting the dragon-marked houses, okay? Yeah. And one but, of their big things is that they're seeking to free bound elementals.
1: This makes perfect sense, honestly, because these are the captains of industry, right? Of right. course they're going to want to wipe these guys out.
0: Yeah, stick it to the man, man. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Then there's the Children of Winter, and I like these guys, okay? They believe that death and decay are vital to the natural life cycle. Uh, If it's out of balance, they believe that devastating cataclysm will occur to reset this balance. They battle the undead, they call the weak, and have been known to spread plagues in some cities. Some of the Children of Winter believe that the morning was a sign of the apocalypse to come.
1: This is where I'm getting my Circle of Spores druid, because they're all about rot and decay.
0: Yeah, I, I, I like, you know, I'm outdoorsy. This death and decay are vital to the natural life cycle. Yeah, I can get behind that. Yeah. Uh, the next one we have are the gatekeepers. We spoke about these guys at length before, so just a quick update on them. Uh, they're the oldest. They're primarily orcs that reside in the shadow marches, and they protect against aberrations on natural creatures. Maybe the mage-bred creatures?
1: Sure. Okay. Uh,
0: and extraplanar incursions or attacks. They maintain the ancient seals that are holding evil at bay.
1: Are these guys that are watching the Labyrinth? No, they're no. not. No, that's right. It's, it's... That's a tribe of orcs. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. Okay, right.
0: Uh, the next one are the Greensingers. They are devoted to the Fae. They serve as mediators between the Fae and mortals. And this really just kind of includes bards and warlocks that have fae patrons. And, and druids and rangers are part of this. This is your...
1: These, are these your hippies?
0: Yeah, these are your hippies. These are like... You dirty hippie. Like, these are the dirty hippies.
1: Okay, so these guys are are having dirty sects.
0: Yeah, they're having, like, drum circles and, you know, I can imagine how many times the same song has been played over and over on the loop. It's a
1: Dave Matthews track. Oh,
0: yeah, that or, um, what's that one Green Day song everybody always plays? The Time of Your Life or whatever it is.
1: Good riddance. The
0: last one, there's, I mean, there's the five. The last one are the Wardens of the Wood. Again, we've spoken about these guys when we spoke about the Eldine Reaches. Uh, they believe that civilization has a place in the world, uh, and they're there to help others understand nature to ensure that they don't cause unintentional harm or stumble into danger. Uh, they're the militia and the mediators in the Eldine Reaches, and they're the largest and most recognized Uh, sect of druids.
1: Okay. I feel like they're going to have a lot of rangers among their ranks too because they're they're militarized. They're martial outdoorsmen. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the last one that I wanted to speak
0: about was the Blood of Vol. And I think I saved the best for last.
1: Oh, sorry, the Blood of...
0: Vol. V-O-L. Blood of Vol. All right. The Blood of Vol teaches that we all have the potential to become divine beings. Death is a curse that is meant to kill you before you can unlock the divinity within you.
1: I believe that about myself in real life. I think a lot of people do, and they damn well shouldn't. No, uh, Yeah, you're right. I It should be reserved for people like me. Yikes. Uh, It was founded
0: by Erandis Deval, E-R-A-N-D-I-S, then the little d, small d, apostrophe, V-O-L, uh, who was an elf from Arenal.
1: This is the only de- de- something that is not a... ath
0: in the, the dragon market yeah
1: which got me thinking that is this the death
0: Well that it doesn't say anything about it but it makes sense that it might be from the,
1: the house of the death? of
0: death that no longer exists
1: okay all right well keep, uh, convince me talk at me
0: uh, It asserts that death is oblivion and the universe is uncaring. If the sovereigns exist they are cruel. The Followers study secrets of life and use bodies of the dead to serve the living because the belief is that death is the end, right? Once you die, it's over, so we might as well get some use out of it, right?
1: Sure. This, is this in Karnath? Is this where we're getting our undead soldiers? We're we're getting there. All right, okay. okay. Sorry, i jumping the gun.
0: The Faithful call themselves the Seekers of the Divinity Within, and they are happy to be reanimated after death. Because this way, they can continue to do good. They see death as the ultimate evil, and they really don't want to become undead. They want to become divine beings, but if they don't make it, and they end up becoming undead, at least they're still doing something, right? It's the consolation prize. They don't want it, but they'll take it when it comes.
1: Store No, never mind. Keep going. Yeah.
0: It teaches that divinity is tied to blood and soul, which is why the undead can't possess this power. Okay. Alright. Uh mummies and vampires of the blood of Vol have sacrificed their divinity to lead the living towards
1: it. Well, fangs a lot, guys. <laughs> no <laughs> Not a fan of that one. Uh I'm gonna go cry to your mummy? It sucked.
0: <laughs> well, that's a wrap. Uh, these these mummies and vampires, they, they're they're martyrs. They're not to be envied. Now, however, this has also led to an offshoot called the Order of the Emerald Claw. Okay? Sure. They are an extremist sect who serve a lich queen. We'll get into her in a minute.
1: Yeah, we will. Uh,
0: They employ necromantic magic in acts of terror and are not supported by most of the Blood of Vault. In fact, they will, like, openly denounce uh, the the, uh, Order of the Emerald Claw. The Blood of Vault are prevalent in Karnath and the Lazar Principalities. Every cleric from the, from the blood of Val chooses a unique holy symbol, but the faith's symbol is a tear-shaped red gemstone or shard of glass. Okay, uh, And their priests wear red and black robes. Most of their services focus on drawing members together as a community and encourage finding the power within oneself. Uh, their most important ritual is the Sacrament of Blood, After a sermon, each member sheds a small amount of blood into a basin. This is a symbol of unity, and that these members would shed blood to defend others. Some temples donate the blood to the vampire champions of the faith, but they also have shrines which just kind of require an altar and a means to collect blood. This sacrament of blood is very, very important. Uh, Their temples are normally fortified structures that serve as sanctuaries. They are stark and functional. Most of them hold vaults and have catacombs that are designed to hold the undead and corpses for
1: raising after. All right. So I, I, it's like it's like a death cult, but for for the good of mankind, which is weird.
0: Yeah, which again is another weird twist on the whole uh, necromancy thing. Because if you remember from the Arenal episode, the court, the Undying Court, is based off of positive comes from positive necromantic energy. Yeah. Which is, again, really a strange concept that I, I like. It because it's new and refreshing, you don't really see it anywhere else. Okay? Now, back to this Order of the Emerald Claw. They started as an order of militant knights in Karnath, but fell into disgrace. There are now a number of different cells of fanatical warriors and necromancers and spies. They try to make themselves appear as Karnathi patriots and followers of the Blood of Val, But, like, this is a lie. Like, this is not true at all. They serve a lich who is called Lady Ilmaro. And she actually has a stat block in the back of the book. And she, she's fucking powerful. She's a CR-22. Yeah. Okay, she is very powerful. Uh, her other name is the Queen of the Dead. Cool. The Order of the Emerald Claw uses destruction, murder, and necromantic terrorism to further their agenda. I like that term.
1: Necromantic terrorism? Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, that's... Yes.
0: Yes. Uh, They use undead minions, uh, and again, like I said, they are rejected openly by the Blood of Val. They want nothing to do with them. During the last war, Karnath bolstered its ranks with groups devoted to the Blood of Val. Uh, This included necromancers and bone knights that were trained to raise undead troops. The Order of the Emerald Claw was one of these groups, okay? They were infamous... Um, They were renowned for their fighting skill, but they were also sanctioned for their treatment of enemy soldiers. They would brutalize them. Okay. They were also accused of killing civilians so that they could be raised as skeletons and zombies to fight for them. So they take all that's good from the blood of Vol and they...
1: Pervert it and twist it, yeah.
0: King Caius III came to power and disbanded the group at the end of the last war. Many members of the Order of the Emerald Claw were condemned as war criminals, but they refused to surrender. This order splintered that caused cells that were still devoted to Carnath and their prosperity uh, to form. A lot of people thought that Carnath didn't get what they deserved through the Treaty of Thronehold and become extremists and joined the Order of the Emerald Claw. Shortly after King Caius III ascended, Lady Ilmaro, emerged as the leader of the Emerald Claw. Very little is known of her, but some people believe that she will become a god of death and her divinity will grant devout followers immortality or eternal life of undeath. Which is a weird phrase to say. Eternal life of undeath.
1: They couldn't have just said eternal undeath.
0: Yes, right. So that's that's what I got on the Order of the Emerald Claw and how they work into uh, the Blood of Vol.
1: Yeah. Right? Okay, so we have essentially two different double-sided faiths.
0: Yeah, you could say that. I would... You're right. The Order of the Emerald Claw is very faithy, but it's all a disguise. They try to pretend that they're followers of the Blood of Val, but that's not really what they're about anymore. They're about other stuff, and that's mainly...
1: Except if Lady Ilmero becomes a goddess of death. But she hasn't yet. No, but I feel like that's what they're pushing for. You could build a campaign on that.
0: Sure. You absolutely could. Which I believe you have built a campaign based on someone trying to become a goddess of death.
1: Uh, no, the, she's already a goddess of death, and she's embracing entropy sure. in my own campaign. So, sure. yeah. yeah. But um, anyway, do you want to grab dice? Tell me which one is your favorite. Oh, uh, yeah. I got a five. Uh, and, but you're
0: going first, because I got a three.
1: <laughs> Sucker. Um, I I'm going to play with the Sovereign Host. The Sovereign Host and the Dark Six are obviously set up to be the big central pieces of faith it's in the, It's the
0: complete package.
1: Yeah, you, you really get everything that you want. You can interact with each of the gods in a different time or, or way. Yeah. And I really feel like it's... You can build a whole campaign around this shit. You can have
0: all of this and not look at anything else and
1: still do just fine. But you, but it comes with dragons and overlords and fiends and a bunch of other shit built right into it as well. So there's a lot that you can dig at.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, anything else you'd like to say about them?
1: Um, no, I'm going to keep it good and short because we're running a little bit longer, and I'm doing something special instead of monsters in a minute. So
0: excellent. Well, I'll just give a quick brief. I really like the blood of all. Uh and the Order of the Emerald Claw that comes with that. I have used the Order of the Emerald Claw, I've spoken about them before. Uh I I really I really, really, really like them.
1: Do you know why they're called the Emerald Claw? No. They're just that's just what they're called? Maybe. Like I feel like that like, I,
0: I did not come across that information.
1: Now I have noticed that there are some specific details that are missing from this book when it comes to the like the weird histories behind things or breaking down certain things. I'm gonna get into that in a minute as well. Another example of that, but it's I'm I'm curious.
0: Sure, the stuff's kinda
1: of littered all over the place in the book. Yeah, after a really quick Google search, I couldn't find why it's called the Emerald Claw, although the emblem is a, a hand, like a five-fingered hand, that is emerald color, but looks kind of almost like a like a flame at the same time. Interesting. Yep. Um, I did also find during my search that the um, the line of Vol, the, the man who, who created the whole thing, um, is directly related to the mark of death. Yes, they are connected. Cool. So... Um, normally at this point I do a breakdown of a monster, um, but there are so many more organizations here that I kind of wanted to focus on, put a spotlight on instead. So I'm going to give you a quick breakdown of a few of them and why don't you pick one like we normally do with the monsters, right? So, sure. Um, first there's the Clifftop Adventurers Guild, which is a marketplace and social club based out of Sharn that's meant for good-hearted adventurers and soldiers of fortune who want to adventure all across Corvair. This is your typical explorer's society. Next, there's the Aurum, that's A-U-R-U-M, which is essentially an exclusive social organization for the wealthy elite of Corvair. It's concerned with history, scholarly pursuits, and even philanthropy. But there's a dark inner circle of the Aurum called the Shadow Cabinet that's made of noble, non-Dragon-marked industrialists who plot to tear down the current system and step up as the new rulers of Corvair. There are, as we mentioned briefly a few episodes ago, um, rumors of a conspiracy in which a cabal of dragons called The Chamber secretly observe the societies of Corvair and protect the Draconic Prophecy from those who would use it for selfish means. Then there are the Lords of Dust, who are the fiendish servants of the Overlords and look to use the Draconic Prophecy to free the Overlords from Kyber and their occasional nightmarish allies who are Sora Kel and her daughters. After that, there's the organization of the Dreaming Dark, who are the quarry that we discussed when I did the quarry breakdown. Yep. Um, They're always plotting and scheming from the plane of Dalcor and use possession and dreams to influence the inhabitants of Eberron. We also have a bunch of criminal organizations and law enforcement agencies, but we can dig into those when we cover Sharn in a couple episodes, because that's where they seem to operate out of for the most part. And finally, there's a Kornberg Chronicle, of course, which is that famous newspaper that sends reports all over Corvair and tries to stay relatively unbiased in its reporting.
0: There's actually clippings all throughout the book that are told from the perspective of the Cor the Corenberg Chronicle.
1: Yeah. So, which one of these do you want me to dig into? Oh, uh, Lords of Dust. Cool. First He's of used. all, it sounds like it is a a metal band. Yeah, the cool. Lords of Dust pretty much. Okay, so um this comes with a bit of an asterisk. I, I can't just talk about the Lords of Dust. They come with a, l- a couple of other organizations as well with them. Sure. So, you can't talk about them without bringing up Sora Kel. Yeah. Sora Kell is the Queen of the Night. She's a monstrous wizard with influence all across Eberron and deep into many of the other planes. She's a mortal. She's a prominent figure in children's fables all across Eberron and she's rumored to be the first Night Hag. She communicates through dreams, magical items, and evil omens, but she hasn't been seen directly in Eberron in over a century. She's known to have mated with powerful overlords to produce her three children, known as the Daughters of Sorakel, who I'm going to go through in a minute, and they're the ones that run the Monster Nation of Drone. Yes. The names of the fathers of the Daughters of Sorakel are long forgotten, but one would assume that the Queen of the Night remembers. Maybe. Um, She often allies herself with fiends who serve the Lords of Dust, but some of the overlords have agents who occasionally oppose her. And, you know, luckily for her, she seems not to draw too much attention from them or the quarry of the Dreaming Dark who appear to be her most formidable rivals. So they're all evil and they don't like, they're all vying for power. And she's kind of, In step with the overlords and their servants the lords of dust um but not all of the overlords all right there's no one group of we don't it's not like the religions where there's a pantheon every overlord has their own army sure the lords of dust themselves are unnamed in the book powerful fiends they're usually rakshasas but it can be any fiend, uh, and they act as agents for the overlords, but each one seems to swear fealty to a single overlord as opposed to following a group of them. Remember how we said that there's a labyrinth run by orcs who keep fiends in the demon wastes? Yeah, it's the lord, it's the lords of dust who pose the biggest threats here. They still have a series of safe houses and sanctums all across Eberron, but they're mostly found scattered across the demon wastes in secretive ancient runes. Sure. And remember the secret society of dragons that I just mentioned? Yep. They directly oppose the Lords of Dust, which hails back to when the dragons and celestials are said to have trapped the overlords in Kyber. The two organizations are constantly vying for dominion over the Draconic Prophecy, which we touched very briefly in the first episode. Yeah. Um, when they do aim to sow discord and distress in order to sustain the overlords trapped below, they're really out to free their masters. Like, that's their their big thing. They, they want to sustain the evil and the darkness, but they're all about the freedom. And in order to do that, uh, they have to follow the draconic prophecy in certain ways, often manipulating mortals to commit specific acts at specific times. They usually deal with complex schemes in clandestine ways. So, you know, mortals, which uh, <clears throat> players may not realize they're being manipulated for a long time. This feels like they're set up to be a giant twist.
0: Well, I'm, I'm usually trying to set my players up and hopefully they don't see it coming.
1: Yeah, hopefully. Uh, Eberron offers a new kind of Rakshasa troop in the book. So I'm going to cover it next week because they're really tied to the Lords of Dust. Okay. Um, but first, though, I want to dive into the Daughters of Sorakel, who are absolutely amazing and I love hags. So I did a deep dive into this. So here we go.
0: I know we have one person who will like this.
1: Yeah, there's, there's just one person that reached out to us on Reddit that was like, tell me more. And we're like, there's not a lot, but, but here we go. So the Daughters of Sorakel are all technically hags. But they've got powers far beyond what hags usually have, according to the Monster Manual. I did a really deep dive into the lore from previous editions because I freaking love these. And interestingly, each of the Daughters of Sora Kel have character levels, which 3.5 used to beef up the monster stats, okay? So Mm -hmm. they actually get levels in classes. That's not how it breaks down in 5th Ed, but it gives you an idea of what their flavor is. Okay. Because there's not a whole lot in 5th Edition about them. The first one is Sora Catra, I spelled the K. Sora Catra is considered to be the voice of the Daughters, and she uses illusion magics and shape-shifting. Legends have it that she uses her loom to weave curses, and she likes intellectual games, intrigues, and plots. That's it. That's what we know about her in 5th edition. Cool. This is why I said before, we're talking about the Emerald Claw, and I'm like, there's gotta be other information in previous editions, and like, 5th ed doesn't do deep dives into some of this. I kinda like it, though, because... But I wouldn't know where to start as a DM if I wanted to use the Daughters of Sorakel. It's blown too open. I almost have an analysis paralysis. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yep. I wonder if... Because we're only focusing on the book Rising from the Last War. Yep. There's also the Way...
1: Wayfarer's Guide to Eberron? No, nah, it doesn't cover this shit. No? No. Okay. Um. So I dug into 3.5 uh, specifically because they had shit tons of books for Eberron.
0: Yes, like over 10.
1: Yeah. Um, and 3.5 tells us that Sorakatra is a green hag specifically from the Shadow Marches. It says that the charismatic Sorakatra formed the government in Drome, which is really just a system of tributes. And these days, Sorakatra spends her time scheming and plotting, and she's actively creating a criminal guild in Brayland called the Monster's Eye. In 3.5, Sorakatra has 11 levels of bard. Weird. Okay. So on top of being a hag. Everything that a level 11 bard can do as well.
0: That's gnarly.
1: Yeah, right? It doesn't say which kind of bard, but that's because it was different classes in that edition. Different subclasses.
0: Well, they used, yeah, prestige classes, which were wildly different.
1: Yeah. Um, The next one is Sora Mania. She's the commander of Drome's armies. And people say that she can crush a giant with her hands, eat it, and still be hungry. She traps her victim's souls to their skulls, so they're bound to them. Okay. Which she then keeps as trophies in her lair. And while her reputation is that of a brutal, muscular woman who can, with an insatiable appetite, she's actually also an amazing strategist and a master of instilling fear. Which makes me wonder how much of this is true. Yeah, that's fair. In 3.5, she's listed as an anise hag from the Eldine Reaches. Now, Anna's hags are the only ones that are large size. Everyone else is uh, medium sized. All the other hags. So the idea that she is bigger and does eat giants, it's starting to track a little bit. So there may be some truth to these. There's very little info um, in 3.5 uh, on Sora Mania as well. But she did enjoy terrorizing the people in her region before she moved to Drome. And she's eager for all sorts of bloodshed and battle. Sora Mania is the military general and has a reputation for being a brute, but she's actually highly intelligent and a hedonistic sadist. Cool. Which means there has got a weird, sexual, gluttonous, greedy vibe as well.
0: Yes, she orders things from Dan's website.
1: Yes, yes. exactly. Sora Mena has ten levels of barbarian.
0: Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. I have a feeling like Terry would really like her.
1: Yes. Yeah, Death by Snoo Snoo.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and finally, there's Sora Teresa who is shrouded in mystery. She's a stereotypical blind diviner, and she's the best diviner alive. Her answers are usually enigmatic, and she's super unreliable. For example, she's been known to tell key information to her sister's enemies for reasons all her own. And it's hard to keep secrets from her, but what she does with the knowledge is anybody's guess. There's no there's got to be a method to the madness, but she swings wild. Nobody really knows what... She's like a force in nature. Wild card, bitches. Yeah, pretty much. So um, in 3.5, we learn that Sora Teresa is a dusk hag, which is the new one in the Eberron book now yeah um and she's from the demon wastes and has spent most of her time focused on ancient knowledges until she came up with the idea for drome so drome is her idea but sora catra put it into uh like gave it structure and runs the government and sora mana is a mania rather is out there to give it military strength
0: sure
1: so she's the eldest of the sisters sora Teresa. Um, and she guides the actions of her sisters. Despite her divination and divine magic, she doesn't pray to any god, and her actions seem to be incredibly chaotic. She can't be trusted, and her advice and deeds don't always seem to benefit the other two, but it's implied that she does have her own mysterious machinations and a method to the madness. And she's got 13 levels of cleric, so that should give you an idea of her powers. That's nuts. So, during the last war, King Boronel of Brayland worked apprehensively with Drone. Yes. But the other nations still refuse to acknowledge the sisters' claim of independence. As we've discussed, Drome sends out their monstrous citizens to act as laborers and mercenaries all throughout Corbair. But it's more than just gold and respect that the daughters of Sorakel want. Each one of these monsters acts as eyes and ears in every corner of the land. This is a power play. Sure. That's what I'm going to build an entire freaking campaign on. Oh, I absolutely. fucking love hags, right? So you've got ties to to their history. Like uh, three point five really did a good job. I feel like fifth ed did them dirty.
0: Well, it, it's easy to do this too because uh, like most of the most of the campaigns I played in Eberron have been based out of Sharn, which is. Not far from Drome. Keep in mind there's Dask, which is an organization of these monsters from Drome that are operating in mainly Breitland. Uh, right? Like there's, it's, they're so close. It could work so easily together.
1: Yeah. So let's jump into that in the Sharn episode, I guess. Yeah. Well.
0: There's episode. a lot. Yeah. Episodes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you have any questions about the Lords of Dust or Sorakel or the Daughters?
0: No, I mean, this all makes perfect... This all tracks, right? Like, it's, Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um again, the Lords of Dust are usually Rakshasas. So, I would say that that's the minimum CR that I would use. And because there's no difference between Demons and Devils and Yugoloths and just the generic fiends like Hellhounds and whatnot, you can open this up to anything. Um... As long as they're in, in servitude of the lords, uh, or the overlords, right? So, um, there's a lot that you can play with, especially Sora Kel not being seen for a hundred years. It's kind of implied as well that the daughters might be behind that, but nobody knows for certain.
0: Yeah, fair enough.
1: So, oh, sorry, and my favorite thing, she has adamantine claws that can eviscerate people.
0: Well, of course, why wouldn't she?
1: Yeah, which is... um badass and also a little bit like an anise Heg as well who have like metal like claws and teeth which which is gross and weird yep so uh anyway that's uh that's that's it i could take all of this and the dark six or the cults of the dragon below and i could make a real big intertwined evil intrigue campaign with this
0: the information in this episode in
1: particular uh, ...was brought to you by Fisher-Price. Sponsor us.
0: Uh, no, it, it. this is really kind of the... This is the meat that is going to create the espionage.
1: Yeah, between that and the Dragonmark Houses, right? Like, there are so many layers to this shit.
0: Oh, and, and of course, we haven't even talked... Well, I mean, we have in the past, but right now we haven't even mentioned the nations. Right. How they play in all of this as well. Like, there are levels to this.
1: So, it's dense... But and there is something about all of it in the book. But I really find the internet's my best friend on a lot of. And we try not to pitch that shit. I think it's the first time we've brought up the actual details from previous editions. Yeah. Um. And 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 I'm fine. No, I'd like to keep it on fifth ed. But we can dabble. Yeah. It's there's a lot of stuff out there, and it's it's there's just a wealth of information for Eberron. It is by far the most fleshed out um, campaign setting. With the exception of, I would say, probably The Forgotten Realms and Greyhawk. And again, both of those, we get a little bit of that flavor in 5th ed, but you got to dig into the past to get that info. Yeah, you should really like do a
0: Google search to see just how many books there were about Eberron for 3.5. And I mean, again, not everything tracks, but if yeah. you're thirsty for more info, you can make stuff from there work for you yes. here, right? Yeah. Like, they really did flesh it out a lot. There, I think each continent has a book of, of its own. Like, it, there's
1: so much. And adventure modules on the continents as well. Oh, right? yeah, 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 So This entire series, as well as other series on role-playing games, are available on the It's a Mimic feed on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and lots of other podcast apps. So don't forget to follow or subscribe on whatever app you're listening to. Also, check out the entire library of episodes on www.itsamimic.com. And feel free to support us by hitting that donate button. Thanks for listening to this episode of It's a Mimic,
0: Touring the Multiverse. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook, or you can find me at the subreddit r itsamimic It's a Mimic. Until next time, I'm Dave. And I'm Adam. And we'll be back with more Eberron information and crazy adventure inspiration next week. But let's go find
1: Jed. I hope we're not dumpster diving as we Oh, sh- uh, don't, don't. <clears throat> that never happened.
2: Hey, uh, Frederick, where are you, man? Frederick! Hey, hey, Jed. Hey, Adam, Dave! Jed, hey. Oh, hey, what are you doing there? Hey, I'm trying to find my buddy Frederick, you know? Like, he's, uh, he was supposed to come pick up this prosthetic that I got for him last week. It came in, you know, everything's good, but no fucking Frederick. And, uh, I can't seem to find him either today either. Well, it's nice to see you out of the dumpster. Hey, yeah, it's always good to be out of the dumpster, back on my feet again. Old Jed, ready to roll. So, uh,
0: so, so, what's that you have there for Frederick?
2: Well, you know, I got this uh, order last week. It's uh, what it is—just a prosthetic limb. You know, Frederick unfortunately is a little bit of a tripod, and uh, he lost uh, lost the bottom half of his arm back when he uh, was found in the orphanage that we grew up in.
0: Oh, uh, I didn't. I didn't
2: realize you had grown up in an orphanage. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't. That's not. Uh, that's not what happened. No. Oh, that, that, okay, okay. Yeah, just forget about uh, it. Just forget just carry on. Water under that, the bridge. That
0: that looks that looks kind of unique. What uh, What is it?
2: Oh, there's nothing really too special about this one, you know. I mean, it is really just a prosthetic limb. When you put it on, it'll act, you know, similar, if not almost exactly the same as, uh, as your regular appendage, you know, before you had an accident or uh, willingly took it off. I don't know what the fuck you're into. But if you're looking for something that uh, packs a little punch, you may say I do have something else that uh, might be right up your, uh, right up your alley, Dave. Oh yeah, what are you talking about? Well, right here, you know, uh, my good old friend Frederick. He's uh, he's not just a simple guy, you know. He wants the best of the best. So uh, your old pal Jetty got him the arcane propulsion arm. It is exactly the fucking same, except this arm can be used as a projectile, David. Interesting. Like you can take it off and throw it? Well, I mean, sure, absolutely, you could take it off. It may take you, you know, a little bit of time, six seconds maybe. I'm sure that I could get around to it then? I mean, yeah, sure, you can throw it, of course, but uh, you wouldn't need to do this. This uh, this crazy little fist here comes flying off the end, up to 20 feet or a long range, you were talking 60 feet here. Okay? All right, let's say your buddy's sitting 60 feet away from you and you want to knock him upside the head. This is going to deal 1d8 damage per successful hit every fucking time.
1: What What kind of damage? Oh, force damage, you know? Oh, so what? You
2: just, it's like a rocket-propelled fist? Think of like a harpoon with the gnarliest fist, which is now yours, on the end of it. And instead of puncturing, you're just fucking blasting the person you're shooting it at.
1: Jed, you're speaking my language.
2: And you know what? You could even use it when you go, uh, you know, act like a hermit out in the woods. A little uh, less force-free hunting to kill, you know, to get your food. Maybe there's a squirrel up in the tree or a uh, cockatrice, you know, roosting. You could just throw that hand out and uh, hopefully knock him down and get a fresh meal. That's That's a pretty smart idea. I like that, Jed. Yeah, it's always good to get a little cockatrice in the morning. Alright, so look, it doesn't uh, doesn't seem like my good pal Frederick's gonna be coming around. The dumb bastard. So, uh, you know, technically, I legally own the thing, and uh, you know he's a no-show. It's the second week in a row. Uh, so you know, if if you're interested, I could probably give it to you at a pretty reasonable cost. Yeah, what are you thinking? So you know, you know, I usually cut you a pretty good deal, and uh, my old pal Frederick, as we were talking about, he was gonna give me uh, forty-five thousand gold pieces. Okay. Now, David, I'm going to level with you. That's a really good price. But what do you feel about 50,000 gold pieces? Well, it seems
0: like it could be a handy thing to have kicking around. But, uh, I mean, in, until until I have need for it, I think I'll pass. Thank you.
2: What about you, Adam? How are you feeling about a little bit of uh, prosthetic action? Uh, I will be honest with you, Jed. I have
1: been scrounging up gold to get that uh, spell sink from last week. And... I am not full of money.
2: Hey, hey, okay, let's just keep that a little bit more quiet here out in the public, okay? Sorry. We're not in any dumpster right now. So,
1: uh what I do have is this contact from the Roarholds that I promised.
2: Oh shit. Okay, come on, bring it in, Adam. Come on, lean in, let's have a conversation.
1: Well, I don't want anyone looking here. Just take this paper, all his contact info's in there.
2: Okay, hey, absolutely. And no it's a no on the prosthetic. No, I'm good. I'm fine with my five appendages. Five? Five? One, two, three, four, four oh, five. Oh, sh- oh okay, okay, well, you have a good day now. Just, uh, I think it's time for us to, uh, split ways today. All right, well, see you later, Jed. Here, you put her up. High five. Ha <laughs> ha! See, I did it with the prosthetic. You didn't even know. It's that good. <laughs> Bye, Jed. Bye, Jed. See you, guys. We got prosthetic arms here, more like one arm, but it could be your arm. We got axes and hatchets too, and all you need to do is get stubby with it.
1: <laughs> oh, god. oh god.
2: Um Frederick!